this is Jeffrey Madoff, and welcome to part two of our conversation today called Anything and Everything with my partner, Dan Sullivan. One of the commercials I did for Victoria's Secret, I don't know if you ever saw it, was they had come to me, they wanted to do a gift with purchase commercial. They'd never actually promoted that except in store. So I did something with umbrellas, their gift with purchase. They'd approached me and said, can you do anything with umbrellas? And I said, yeah. And I said, so what's your idea? And I said, well, give me a minute. <laughs> you know, I don't know yet. And it was interesting because I came up with this idea that was sort of somewhere between Busby Berkeley and Bob Fosse in terms of choreography. Mm -hmm. And there, first of all, the feeder was that I'm familiar with theater. So I know how to recognize different kinds of choreography. And Busby Berkeley with film and overhead and how to do certain things that composed really cool with an overhead shot and all of that sort of thing. But then I talked to a composer for the music and he's a talented guy. And I said, so here's what I want. I want the sound of thunder. I want the sound of rain. And I want all of the percussion to be either the wooden tip of the umbrella tapping on the floor or the sound of the, you know, spring loaded opening. So, you know, pop when it opens. And I want you to create the track out of actual sounds of the umbrella. He said, actual sounds of the umbrella? I said, yeah, I want you to do that. And he kind of laughed and he said, all right, well, I never did that before. I said, what do you think? He said, actually, it's cool. I, I want to do it. And, you know, to what you're saying, when you work with good people and you give them a creative challenge, that engages them. Oh, yeah. So the piece came out fabulous. He did a really cool job. And then we would talk for other jobs. He goes, so what else you got for me? <laughs> you know, and it was, and I didn't know how to do it, but I knew that pushing his talent yeah. and that he's so creative. And that takes me to another segue in this because, you know, we're talking about how we know what to do and so on. But I think it's also really important to know what you don't know mm -hmm. and find complementary talent. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, the big thing, you know, is that most people develop, and I'm talking about most people when they make their way in the adult world and they get a job in that, they're working with various means, methods, processes, they're working with technology or techniques or tools, they're working with tools, but they're doing sort of commoditized work. They're kind of doing commoditized work with it, okay? And that would really wear me out really, really fast. I mean, after you've done it two or three times or, you know, you get to it where, okay, I got that, and they said, well, now you only have to do that another 25 years until retirement. <laughs> you know, and that's, What's fun? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. The future discourages you. You know, that the, the notion of a repetitive future really discourages you. But the other thing is that, you know, you thought about that. You were using somebody's talent as an instrument. Yeah, that's right. And you weren't training him how to do it. He was already trained on how to do it. I mean, you weren't going to tell him, yeah, and I want you to handle the umbrella like this. And, you know, I was thinking there's about five sounds that an umbrella makes. You know, if you hit the switch, you do that. But it was so funny just to bring back two things that you told me that I want to build into this. You said two things. You said 
the big routines. The Busby Berkeley. Busby Berkeley. Well, immediately I knew what you meant by Busby Berkeley because I could see it, you know, with uh, 500 dancers and, you know, coming right. down staircases and everything else. But then Bob Fosse, my mind went immediately to Chicago. Exactly. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So all you had to do is say those two things, and I had the complete visuals. Well, that's the shortcuts that you get when you work with people. You have your own language, and you can just say, uh, you know, it's kind of like Busby Berkeley and Bragle, <laughs> angry Bragle. But the other thing is that what I notice is that you use teamwork almost as a creative instrument. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Probably the most interesting thing is the creation of the jazz album, Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, which was done, you know, within a mile of maybe where you're living right now. I don't know if it's, it's the greatest jazz album of all time. And it was done in two, three hour sets. And he brought in people who collectively had an average of about 35, 40 years experience. And he brought him in. And these are just, the, you know, Cannonball, Adderley, and all the. And he just had a sketch. And he said, well, there's about five or six movements here. And this one looks kind of like this. And this looks like this. And they just started playing. And he would just nod to people. And then they would do their thing. And then he nod to somebody else and do their thing. This is probably another segue. But you do get these riffs. And all these people had hundreds of riffs. So he knew what they were capable of, and he could give them enough indication of this is how you're going to play it. So I'll start off, and I'll kind of set the tone here. And then I'll turn to you, Cannonball, and Cannonball, you do this, and then we'll go over here and we'll do this. And my sense is the control that you talked about right at the beginning of this talk, it's control for a purpose. Mm -hmm. It's control for a purpose. It's not a control just for control. It's control so that you can create something that's never been created before. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Two thoughts that triggered. One of my favorite musicians is Frank Zappa. And I was talking to Mike Keneally. Mike Keneally is a staggering guitar player who played for Zappa, toured with him for a few years in the 80s. And Keneally is one of these guys that can hear anything and play anything. And by the way, can't read music. So I was talking to him after I was at a concert of his. And I said, what was it like when you auditioned for Zappa? And he said, well, you know, I went there, couldn't afford a car, but I hired one anyhow so I could sit in the back and work on all the fingerings of all of his stuff. So I walked in carrying the guitar by the neck. And he said to me, nice case. <laughs> and uh, so we started doing things and Zappa's roots were he was a drummer. So what he kept doing was changing tempo and he was changing tempo faster and faster and faster and faster until Keneally couldn't do it. And he's crestfallen and he just starts to walk away. And Zappa said to him, where are you going? He said, I couldn't do what you wanted me to. And Zappa said, nobody could. I take musicians to their breaking points so I know how complex I can make the composition for live performance, which I thought was absolutely fascinating, you know, because to take somebody so you know how far you can take them is, you know, phenomenal. And then when you hear his music, and the reason there's not lots of Zappa cover bands is because the music is just way too hard to play. 
But I thought, wow, that's really interesting. So, of course, Keneally got the job and Zappa mm-hmm. wanted to see how far he could take him, mm-hmm. which I think is incredible. Yeah. You know, and I think when you work with really talented people, I have never met, I can say this categorically, I have never met a highly talented person who doesn't love the challenge of pushing their boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really cool. And so plays back into not only your who, not how, but it also plays back into having effective collaborations. Yes. Because it's not about, as you said accurately, it's not about controlling their performance. It's about jointly creating something Mm -hmm. that has a certain structure to it, you know, and knowing what you don't know. I know, I initially thought, I don't know even if you knew this, with my play personality, I initially was going to direct it. I know how to direct talent, but I realized I don't know stage blocking. I don't know how to work in choreography. I don't know how to do a lot of these things that are unique to a live theatrical performance. And it's also going to be a lot harder to get financing if I'm the front person as director, Yes, because I have no track record in that. And so in interviewing directors and, you know, ending up with Sheldon Epps, who you met, who's phenomenal, and I'm so happy that we're working together, you know, it was, I knew what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I know how to judge talent and I know how to also assess the personality and to know that we can work together, even if it's stressful. You know, as you get older, you can sort of smell it early on if somebody's going to be too high maintenance and it's going to hurt the overall enterprise. But knowing what I didn't know, it was liberating as opposed to think, ah, I can't direct this. More so, it was a learning opportunity to enhance my skill set by learning how it's done from someone who's a master at doing it then also getting the best out of everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel the same way with just the project that I was talking about, the quarterly books. So what I do is I have a way of breaking books down into mindsets. So all my books are mindset books. For example, I have one that just went to press last week, which is called Zooming Ahead. And I said, you know, Zooming People are just thinking of this as another technology. I think this is a real shift of how things can get done in the world. So I said, you know, Zoom is not replacing any other communication system. It's replacing transportation systems. That's absolutely right. No, I I totally agree. And I said, you're here, but you're also there. And everybody else is there and also here. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And I said, you have to realize that the burden of travel is almost like a law of gravity up until a year ago, up until a year ago, that if you were thinking about anything in the future that you were going to undertake, automatically you factored in the travel burden. Right. You know, and then one day you don't have to do that. (laughs) I think some people are very uncomfortable with Zoom because the travel burden got taken away and they had sort of attached themselves to the travel burden. You know, it was part of their shtick. You know, they could say, sorry, I'm late. There's no reason for being late on Zoom. You know, like I said, 
uh, you were in the kitchen. Why are you late? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, 20 feet to your destination. <laughs> How do you be late on Zoom, you know? Oh, uh, I'm sorry, I have to go. Where are you going? <laughs> well, you're right. Zoom is a travel mechanism because what it removes is sense of place. Yes. You can be anywhere yeah. as long as you have an internet connection. Yeah. And if not for Zoom, these last 13 months would have been a total wipeout in terms of preparation for the play. Oh yeah. Because I couldn't have met with people and had the Zoom meetings with my director and the set designer, all these people couldn't have done it. It's benefited my class because I'm not limited by geography. And even people who are in the city who would come to Parsons in person, which I do love. I mean, you know, I'm a performer. Yeah. I like being in front of a live audience. I like hearing the laughter and I like feeling the energy and all that. But I'm able to get people who I might not otherwise get because they only have to walk 20 feet you know, to where they're set up. Well, to do it. or they're in California exactly. or they're in California. That's right. Yeah. So my sense is that this has really, really changed. So I created this book and it's eight mindsets on it. What I do is I just sketch out what the mindsets are and then I do a little outline of the mindsets with just what would be subheads in the book old advertising trick. Don't worry about the copy, worry about the headlines. Advertising is strictly about headlines and subheads. It's not about the copy. The copy comes easy once you've got the headlines. So I've got basically five subheads per chapter. Each chapter is about four pages, and we have two pages of cartoons. And the other thing is that I've mastered something called the second person singular. Okay, so in every book I write, it's always you, Jeff, this is how you're approaching things right now. And Jeff, you have lots of thoughts about things. And there are certain thoughts that are a lot more important than other thoughts, Jeff. And for 50 pages, it's Jeff, you think this, you feel this, you're striving for this and everything else. And the reason is I'm only writing for one kind of person. I'm only writing for an ambitious, creative, cooperative entrepreneur. I'm not writing for anything in the world, except that sort of person. So over 45 years, I've known who this person is. And then Shannon Waller, who's a team member, I think you've met Shannon on certain occasions, but she's a 30-year team member with Coach. We go into a studio or we do it on Zoom and she just asks me questions about my script and then I give stories and everything. And then it gets transcribed and it goes to a writer who is blind. He's been blind since 15 years old, but the technologies are so good now. And he takes everything, the transcript and my outline, he puts it in four pages. And in the last five books, I haven't changed a word. I haven't changed a word. He's got me down. His sister is the editor and they work together. And she said, this line here, Dan wouldn't say it that way. This is not something that Dan would say. Dan would never say that. And he says, oh, oh, good. So she's got my voice. So she's the keeper of my voice. And then he's he's a good writer, you know, and comes back. And then, you know, we do the cartoons and everything. But there's about nine people. So we're doing a video on how the whole team works together and where it starts, and how it gets through. And just to touch the point here about teamwork, when I went to Rome the first time, the thing that Get you about Rome are the fountains, these incredible fountains. And they were all done basically by one person, Bernini. Bernini was the great fountain guy. Parts of the Vatican are Bernini. And I said, how can a human being create all this stuff? 
So I started doing some research on Bernini. Bernini had 10,000 craftsmen that worked for him. He had nose guys, he had ears guys, he had finger guys, you know, and he'd sketch things out and he said, no, no, little this way, this way. And it tells me the one thing that a lot of people, you know, they don't know the complete cycle of how business actually works. They don't understand the teamwork of business. And art. That's right. Like Dale Chihuly, the glassblower. Mm-hmm. You know, well, he lost his sight in one eye and he couldn't be a glassblower anymore. He says, that doesn't mean I can't hire glassblowers. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yeah. So he's got a company with hundreds of craftspeople who do his glass work. Well, you know what Andy Warhol's studio was called, don't you? The Factory. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly that. He had people making his silk screens and he had organized labor, basically, who were rendering his artwork. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many, but there was a lot. And it was literally called The Factory. The factory, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And when you talk about Zoom replacing travel, Mm-hmm. When you think about it, there's other technology, for instance, the phone. You know, when you wanted to talk to your neighbor, you'd have to go outside and find your neighbor <laughs> and talk to them. And the phone eliminated the need for travel yep. in a certain way. Yep. Right. So when you could bring audio entertainment into the home, once areas got wired, you could bring radio in. So you were able to do that and eliminate the sense of distance. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, television. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because so many things are iterations on what came before. Mm -hmm. And you look at these things, you know, when I was talking to Damon John, Mm -hmm. he said, you're not going to do anything new. You know, if you've been born since caveman days, you're not going to do anything new. It's all going to be either a faster delivery of something, but it's not going to be a new thing. You know, Zoom took Skype in phones, you know, party lines, if you will. And now look at Clubhouse, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's basically a party line. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really fascinating when you break this stuff down because I love looking at the antecedents to things. Mm -hmm. And when you realize, wow, that was a magical switch that somebody put those two things that already existed together in a unique way or for a unique Mm -hmm. audience. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I love looking at things that way. I love looking at, so where'd that come from? Yeah. Well, you just recommended to me about three months ago, a brand new author, and I've read all three of his books, and this is Tim Tim Wu. Wu. Tim Wu, and I have discussion groups, and I give it out to entrepreneurs, his book, The Master Switch, I gave out to everybody. And I said, what I do when I give out the book, I'll find a really good YouTube of where he's being interviewed. And then I'll get the best book review of the book. And I said, look, I know different people approach information differently. So I said, you can read the book, or you can watch the video, which is about 45 minutes, where he covers the main points because the interview is about the book. Or you can read three pages of a really good review. But I said, he's really onto something very, very important. I said, of all the books that I've read over the last year, I think he's on to better than anyone else I've seen. He's really on to something really important here, that information 
businesses are really different from other businesses. There's something here where they want to control how you think. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they want to own how you think. Right. They yeah. want to own how you think. He said, maybe some of these companies are getting too big for everybody's good. Yeah, well, when you've got a phrase, the attention economy. Yeah. Well, of course, what's that economy based on? Capturing and holding your attention. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, how would you review the main points of what we've talked about so far? Well, one of the things I love is we always set out at the beginning what we're going to talk about and then never talk about that. (laughs) But we did talk about (laughs) risk. We'll come back to risk. You know, we've we've enhanced our future appreciation of a subject not talked about today. Yeah. But the thing that I really love is how to get things started. And I think that you really identified some really crucial there's this betting on yourself that requires that you control your future in a way that other people don't want to control your future. And I think that you want the control because you're out to create something that hasn't been created before. Yeah, or a variant. Yeah. That makes it, you know, more interesting or somehow feels fresh. I mean, that's right. I mean, I was thinking as we were talking, there were a number of things that we got into with some depth, but I think that that whole notion of value, of authority, of control, all those things I think are quite interesting. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy how we're able to go down the rabbit hole (laughs) and neither one of us really care whether we take a left turn or right turn, go straight at whatever. (laughs) It's just (laughs) the propellant is our curiosity. Yeah, we're comparing experiences, you know, and we both had, I won't say similar experiences, but we've had resonant experiences. Yes. It's such an interesting thing to me because I always tell the entrepreneurs, and I catch them, you know, these days I catch them at quite an advanced stage, just in terms of how much money they have to be making to qualify, you know, for the program. And, uh, you know, most entrepreneurs, if they can match minimum wage for their entire life, they're doing really good. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but convicts are actually just entrepreneurs with a lower IQ. (laughs) Uh Or who get caught. (laughs) No, they don't have a sense of consequence. Mm -hmm. They have a much shorter time frame. You know, you and I, if we park in an illegal place on the street, we can say, how much trouble is this really going to get me into? You know, you're pushing down, you know. (laughs) I mean, now where do they take these cars when they tow them? Uh, New Jersey? Is it uh, somewhere in New Jersey? You know, it's going to take me about a $250 Uber ride to go out and reclaim my car, and then it's $500 at the dump. So, but what we have is we develop a sense of future consequence. Convicts don't have that. Yeah, they have a three-hour time frame or a 24-hour time frame. But the thing is, they've actually done studies of people who specialize in house burglaries, okay? And they got a 1,000 people who had been in prison, in and out for breaking into houses. And they found, on average, uh, their lifetime takings, earnings from robbing houses was equal to minimum wage for 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) And what you were just talking about, by the way, is formulating risk assessment. Mm -hmm. Is it worth the risk? 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, we can venture into time and we can see the consequence. Actually, I think creativity is based on, but I think ethics and morals are actually based on that. You know, if I do something that's illegal or I do something unethical, ethical people have a sense of consequence that I think some other people don't. Anyway, that was great. Yeah, this really felt like we got into a lot of stuff. Yeah. It was very cool. I think I was thinking as we were talking about some of this, because I love the depth we're going into and what it triggered in both of us, which was neat. Mm -hmm. I think at some point, it would be interesting to explore turning this into a book Mm -hmm. and distilling this in a way around some of these major thoughts and what that is which I think could be rewarding for us, fun for us. Oh, yeah. I think that could be cool. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that your entire life experience is potential material. Absolutely. Yeah, which I say, since we both own our respective territories, we might as well make use of them. <laughs> That's correct. Say hi to Babs. My best to Margaret. Thank you, man. Goodbye. Okay. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on our show, Anything and Everything. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. For more about me and my work, visit acreativecareer.com and madoffproductions.com. To learn more about Dan and Strategic Coach, visit strategiccoach.com.